I mean, first of all, I think we're operating against a fascinating backdrop because we have actually been asked, possibly slightly by the back door, but nonetheless, Alan and I have seized it, to, in our funding review, to consider what the responsibilities are of the NHS, because it says to discharge the NHS's responsibilities. And I would argue to you that the commissioning backdrop at the moment is at best confused. And I constantly use the parallel of hip replacements because it's very clear for a patient, for a clinician, and for a commissioner that if a patient needs, as opposed to wants, a new hip, that they will have an operation, they will receive it, and the state will pay for it. If they want a super-duper titanium hip, then the jolly will have to pay for it themselves. It's all pretty straightforward. In end-of-life care, confusion is total, despite the hard work of the commissioners, the clinicians, and the voluntary sector, and all involved, because actually we don't know who's responsible for what. So what this review will really try to do is to nail down, at least for the time being, what societal responsibility should be and what the state's responsibility should be. And I think that's at the heart of this review. And it will be a realistic recommendation that we make in June. Let me give you an example, going back to my hip. If I die on the operating table, the state, as I understand it, will not provide me with bereavement services or my wife with complementary therapy. So you could argue, logically, that the state shouldn't provide those services in end-of-life care either. I'm not recommending that. But, it, but if you extend the logic, there's no particular reason why end-of-life care should get special treatment compared with the hip patient. So I, I think we've got to recognise here, as the Chief Executive of East Anglian Children's Hospitals, who's a really remarkable individual, has said to me, coming from the voluntary sector, it's time the voluntary sector stopped whining and actually helped you by saying what should the voluntary sector be very happy to pay for all of. And I thought that was a, a, an extraordinarily bold statement, actually. And there is one very good example of this already, where one hospice has gone to its commissioners and said, we want you to pay for 100% of all our specialist palliative care services in the community, because that's what you've told us you want. You want access to specialist beds, so we want you to share that cost with us, because actually we may want to keep patients in those beds longer than you do. And everything else in the hospice we will fund from charitable donations. And I thought that was a, a precedent of uh, a, a really intelligent chief executive thinking positively about the future. So I think the first challenge in this review is going to be what is society's and what is uh, for the state. The second thing I wanted to say to you is I, we have not received one single piece of evidence suggesting that personal health budgets are a good idea in end-of-life care. Not one. So we have already shared with the Secretary of State that we are unlikely to recommend personal budgets. <laughs> However, we are charged with producing a commissioning tool that actually allows for personalised health care. <coughs> so we will be working very much away from pathways, away from pathways. As my wife said when our daughter died, if I'm put in a circle of grieving women, I will kill someone. So we must allow the patient to opt in and out of packages of care that must be put together, in our view again, 
not based on disease, so expect nothing from us on disease, it will be entirely on patient need. And we, from the work we have done so far, and from the expert evidence we've had, there doesn't seem to be, to be frank with you, much difference in needs between a child with cystic fibrosis and an elderly patient with, with um, terminal uh, cancer. It's quite interesting. What is different is time frame. It's not so much actually a type of need, so it's been utterly fascinating. <coughs> we have some very real concerns about the commissioning of specialist teams in hospitals. We are really worried about it. And we think this may be one of the unintended consequences of the Secretary of State's wish to stimulate care in the community and to move towards personalised health care is that GP commissioners may look at this rather large sum of money they're having to contribute into specialist palliative care teams inside hospitals and say, I don't think so. And just look what we've heard about the Northwest over the last few days. I had a double hernia operation this summer. I'm very glad I don't live in the Northwest of England because I see it's on the list of things that is no longer necessary for you to have. Uh, so I, that, um, uh, let's hope end of life care doesn't go the same way. And then my last point is I am worried about end of life care slipping down the agenda. I'm slightly concerned about the fact that this new government is, has such an emphasis on cancer. Just as in end-of-life care, we've, began, we've begun to manage to have an even-handed approach to all diseases. We're back, bang, bang, bang on cancer again. And please note, in the announcement last week, £750 million for cancer patients. It's all for survivors and none for the terminally ill.